The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. As we join together on this night to celebrate uh, the unity that we have in Jesus Christ and to stand together and to mark that on, on this night, I want to pick up on something that Donnie shared a little bit earlier. Uh, it's something that you have all heard about in the news recently, something that, that any of us in this room cannot ignore, and that is, is what is happening in Haiti. And, and I don't want to give another gratuitous shout-out to what is happening there, but to tell you that uh, I got to spend two months in, in Haiti several years ago, and it's, it's a place that, uh, that has a, a definitely a special place in my heart. As I've looked through some of the images that we've all seen, buildings that I have seen or have even been in, I actually saw pictures of those buildings uh, decimated. And so it's, it's uh, something that is, has been personal uh, to me. And so I do want to encourage you as we stand together tonight and as we stand with those that have been impacted by this tragedy to, to find the place in your community where you can invest in this way. If it's giving uh, $5 to what the Greek ministry here is, is doing, then do that. If, if your community is doing something to partner with an organization that is doing something to help those people in Haiti, friends, don't just talk about it. Do it. And do it this week. Do it soon. Something that I want to put on your radar as well is this spring we're once again headed to the Dominican Republic. And what we do when we are in the Dominican is work with Haitian refugees. Now, in the case of, of several years ago, perhaps generations removed, but the border's been open there, and there are, there's a wave of new refugees. So for those of you that are anxious to go in and perhaps interact and help with this crisis on a more immediate level, seven weeks from now, we're going to go do that. Similarly, we're, we're going to send a, a group of people uh, in a World Cup year. It seems appropriate to say this on a night of Christian unity. On a World Cup year to go play soccer uh, with our brothers and sisters in Jamaica and to share the love of Christ with them. In so doing, two great opportunities that you have here as we stand uh, in solidarity with those in Haiti and even uh, in a celebration with those around the world as we mark the World Cup this summer. Two great opportunities that I encourage you uh, to check out. Uh, tonight at the end, as the video uh, show, we are going to continue a series that we've been doing on Romans, but, but that it's a message that I think has uh, impact for all of us, regardless of what community you've been coming to, or regardless of, of uh, if you've been participating in this series throughout the quarter or not. Uh, I think there's something um, in here uh, for each of us tonight. I once heard a speaker that started off uh, in a room like this that said, uh, you know, before I have met any of you, before I have uh, shaken a hand, I know, uh, I know a couple things about you. I know the absolute worst thing about you. Happy New Year to you, too. <laughs> I know the worst thing about you. I know, as Janie said last week, that you are a part of the sin club. I know that you come up short. I know that you are imperfect. I know that you have issues. You're part of this, and you can't save yourself from it. I know the worst thing about you. He then followed it up by saying, I also know the best thing about you. And that is that you have been invited, that you are a beloved 
child of the King. That you are justified by faith through the grace of Christ. That you are redeemed and you have been welcomed into the kingdom family of God. Wow. I know the best thing and the worst thing about you. Now, if Janie covered last night this whole thing about uh, building this case that we know the worst things about each other. Because it goes two ways, right? You know the worst thing about me, too. It's the same thing. You also know the best thing about me. It's the same thing. Janie covered that worst part. What I want to do is take a look at the beginning of that best part. The beginning of that best, best part in a very uh, prominent piece of scripture in Romans 3. And my goal tonight is to do a couple things. One is to give you the shortest talk you've ever heard on Romans 3. And, and two is to rescue some of this language that in my opinion... As I came to this and studied it once again, some of this language that, that for me is very religious language, to the point of annoyance at times. And see how it's not merely religious language, but that it means something in relationship. So to take back perhaps that which we forgot what it really means and, and grasp it a little bit more. Ultimately, that we might be reminded how we gain acceptance into, the, into God's kingdom family. Uh, before we come to the scripture tonight, let me say one quick prayer for us as we, as we listen to this. Lord, uh, be our teacher. Make us of one heart and one mind as we gather tonight. Uh, speak to us once again uh, through your word, which continues to speak in Christ's name. Amen. All right. The scripture, I'm just going to take it from Romans 3. Janie took us through verse 20 last week. I'm going to pick it up at verse 21. It says this. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ who all believe. I'm going to stop there. Like I said. My goal is to give you the shortest talk you've ever heard on Romans 3 here. The righteousness from God. The righteousness of God. Now, perhaps I'm the only one with issues, but there is something about that phrase that is like nails on a chalkboard for me. It just sounds so religious. Righteousness. It, it, I know in my family growing up, my family made fun of people anytime that they, that, that they would posture in this righteousness or, or this holier than thouness. So there's, there's something about this, even this word righteousness that honestly I dislike. There's some sort of meaning about it that, that just rubs me the wrong way. So what do we do with this word Righteousness. What does it really mean? How do I get it out of this idea that what I picture when I think about righteousness? And I can't think of any other place where it's used, so I tried to. And I thought about, sometimes I think why I had such a negative connotation is that I viewed this righteousness of God as God being a sort of divine greater. This professor, you know the professor that hands out the syllabus uh, that, that at the top of it, when, it's, when it gets to the grading piece, it says, an A is reserved only for truly exceptional work. The bar is set so high and you can't attain it, and then you get the condescending, B is a very good grade in this class. 
I think I had a similar view of God as I would come to this, that God was this sort of divine greater that would place the bar so high and say, here's where the bar is, but you probably can't get there. And then would kind of mock me. There was this type of, of condescending uh, voice, at least that I heard in my head, when I thought about this whole thing with the righteousness of God. Now, to be fair, those of you that are sitting out there going, well, Ryan, the reason you don't like that and the reason you give that example is that you just weren't a very good student. You weren't good at getting grades, which to some degree is absolutely true. And I know that some of you are out there going, dude, if God's a divine grader, I've got a 4 I'm in, I can do this. Okay. For better or for worse, God is not a divine greater. When we think about the righteousness of God, we are not thinking about God as a divine greater. So how do we move this, at least in my paradigm, from being the righteousness from God or of God, being religious, but to relational? I propose this. This word that we, that we translate righteousness I think it might be better, there, there's two, two ways that I worked with this. One guided uh, by one commentator who said this word is better translated as, uh, as a covenant justice. God's covenant justice. Now some of you are out there thinking, I thought you were trying to rescue this from religious language. Uh, the other one might be consistent relationship. Let me go back to the first one. Covenant justice. What does covenant mean? Okay. We go back uh, to, for some of you that might have been here in the fall, we go back to the story of Abraham, which Paul actually covers in chapter 4, which I'm not going to get to tonight. You can go over it in your core group or in your Bible study tomorrow. But this, this covenant where God says, all right, what has gone bad in the world, in creation, I want to make right again. So he takes this guy, Abraham, and says, you are blessed to be a blessing. Uh, my plan is to bless the entire world th- uh, through you, and we're going to make right what has been made wrong. Uh, we're going to do this again. I will be your God. You will be my people. Sound good? You in? Yep, I'm in. You in? Yep, I'm in. Sounds good, right? Well, here's the problem. In this little deal that was cut, the people didn't make good on their side of that covenant. They made idols. No longer was God their God. They turned away. They, they, saw, they started seeking after other things. This covenant that God initiated is somehow uh, at least breached. One side of it has said, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm out. So what does, what does God do within that? God stays with them. God stays with him. Even though they said, we're going to go a different direction, God says, I'm still on board. God stays true to this covenant. You may break the deal, but I'm not going to break the deal. God stays true to this covenant that the people entered into with him and that he entered into with the people. Righteousness of God is God staying true to the covenant even when we turn our backs, even when the people of Israel turn their backs. So that's one side of it. One part of this covenant was blessed to be a blessing. Me and you were in this together. But what's, what's this other part of the, of the covenant? I will be your God. You will be my people. 
Now, last week in the, the scripture that Janie looked at, at the beginning of chapter 2 of Romans, we hear about this thing called the wrath of God, which I want to uh, remind you that, that I think is rooted in this whole idea that, uh, that the Lord your God is a jealous God. Now, as nasty as that may seem, what I, what I want to point out is that God gets jealous anytime that there is something that comes between God and one uh, of, of his beloved children. One of his beloved creations. So the wrath of God comes out of this jealousy. And it's a jealousy that says, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. That's all. How's that? So what do we do with this reality of the, the fact that we are all a part of the sin club? What do we do with that side? Okay, part of it is blessed to be a blessing. But what, what happens when there's this other side of the deal that gets breached? What do we do with sin? What does God do with sin? This is where we, we move on to this next phrase that we read um, that says, the right, this righteousness is given through, the faith, through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Faith in Jesus Christ here is faith in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Now, there's been a lot of debate on how to interpret this, but I want to I assert to you that, that when it says faith in Jesus Christ, what we have faith in is the faithfulness of Jesus Christ because what Jesus Christ did, his faithfulness is what the people of Israel and, in fact, us, as we are reading somebody else's mail, this mail to the Romans, what the people of Israel and what we cannot accomplish, Jesus does accomplish through his faithfulness, through his obedience to the will of God, even unto death. Faith in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who believe. What Jesus, in essence, does is say, is, is he's this, this expression of God that says, I know you can't do it, so I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to step in and get her done for you. The best image I, I have of this, of this uh, stage in my life, I have a 16-month-old fiery red-headed son named Carson. Who he's, What he has discovered really, I, I think really in the last month, is that he has a will. He, wants, he has desires that are in the moment and he wants to do them right now. Beforehand, it was really cute. He'd just kind of sit and look at you and kick and stick his tongue out at you. But now he's starting to go, no, I think I want to go outside. And I want to do it now. So what does Carson do? I'm sitting on the couch, you know, trying to read a book. And Carson, you know, will come walking up to me with his big old diaper. And he will, he will grab on my hand because he needs me to come and open the door for him. Or he's really hungry. He cannot get those craisins fast enough. So he'll come and, and he'll, he'll grab my hand. And he's in so doing, he's saying, I want this and I need you to do it for me because I can't do it. And he knows it. What we get in Jesus Christ is that, that one that steps in when we know we can't do it. We cannot save ourselves. And so what this expression of the faithfulness of God is that it's God saying, revealed in Jesus, I'm going to give you, I'm giving you Jesus who can do what you cannot do for yourself. What the people of Israel could not do for themselves. 
So contrary to being a divine greater, the good news of Jesus centers around this relational consistency that actually deals with both fart... Fart. (laughs) Did I mention that my son sometimes keeps me awake at night? (laughs) With both parts of this covenant. Parts with a P. Not an F. Both parts of this covenant. I will be your God, you will be my people, and we will bless the world. He deals with both parts. And so what we get as we move on is this, is this uh, as we continue in looking at Jesus, we get the summary from last week. For all have sinned. Remember, on a night where we are celebrating the unity, we are in part gathering saying, we Come knowing that we are in need of something. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then it says this in verse 24. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Justified by faith. Another phrase that that for even a lot of my faith journey, even in part of my time as a pastor, justified by faith through grace. Justified by grace through faith. Whatever, in all the different ways that it's said, I've sometimes, I, I think I've missed at times what this really means. So what does justified mean? Simply it means to find acceptance. To make right. In a courtroom, to be justified is to be acquitted. And friends, I think that we spend a ton of time and a lot of energy trying to justify ourselves. Trying to seek that acceptance. I mean, I think about some of the dumb things that I've done throughout my life in trying to seek acceptance. I remember one time in high school, I thought wearing the right clothes would gain me this type of justification uh, with, with a particular group of people, and by that I mean girls. <laughs> so I, you know, I put on this, this pair of jeans that I'm thinking is going to, you know, score me some digits or whatever. <laughs> thinking I'm pretty, I'm pretty big stuff, but here's the problem. I left the price tag on it. <laughs> okay, so when I'm trying to be, be all cool and they're like, hey, dude, uh, new jeans, I'm like, oh, no, I've had these for a while. They're like, price tag's still on it. Oh, you know, or the sign that says like, you know, 3230 or whatever right there. And I forgot to take it off. We spend a lot of time trying to gain this type of acceptance or what we think will give us this acceptance. We spend a lot of time trying to justify ourselves. And the good news that connects back to this whole thesis of Romans being about the gospel of Jesus Christ The news that sets up everything that that you would read in the rest of this letter is that we are justified by grace through faith. Justification is God accepting us into his family. Justified by grace through faith. What does faith mean here? Well, faith quite simply means trusting and believing That the promises of God, this steadfast love of God, is for you, and if you were to look around, and for others as well. 
and you can not just do that at the end, do that in class. Do that when you go to Starbucks. Do that when you're standing at the bus. It is a grace that is for those around you and is also for you. We are justified by grace through faith and God is the one that equips it. It's not because of anything that we do. It's simply God saying, I've got one that can do what you can't and his name is Jesus. And all I'm asking you to do is trust and believe that that is true. The last word that I want to look at here is is that it says that we are all justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. This word redemption is, is again, another one that you rarely hear outside of of church, though you're thinking, well, I, I like to redeem coupons for free food all the time. Let's go with this a little bit more. That, that there is something to, to this word redemption that equals freedom. We've been set free in this justification. We have, and, and to be redeemed, especially to the ancient Hebrews, this, this word would mean something very special. Certainly to the degree that I'm not sure we're going to be able to understand tonight. But let me see if I can paint a picture of what this means through sharing a little story about a father and a child that build a boat. And this this father and and this child they they uh, they work they work hard to build like a little model or toy boat, and they they work hard on this. They work day and night, and when they finish, they they finish it and they look at it and say, "Man, this is very good." And what a, what a joy to get to do this together. Well, the little boy is pretty stoked about this little boat. So let's say he lives here in Seattle and he bounces down to Green Lake and he, he drops it in the, in the water to see if this thing floats and, and sure enough, it does. It works. And it's very good. This thing that he and his father have created is doing what it's supposed to do. A breeze comes up and the boat is now out of the reach and it continues to sail, sail further and further away and the child is turned back without his boat. He loses his boat in that moment. Well, uh, a week later, perhaps, he's walking down the Yab and, and comes past a pawn shop, and he sees his boat in the window. So he goes in, and, and he sees the storekeeper, and he dumps out his allowance. That is everything that he has. Everything that he can possibly dump out, he dumps out and says, I would like that boat. Shopkeeper says, all right takes that allowance, goes, gets in the boat out of the window and gives it to him. And this, this boy runs outside of the store, finds his dad and, said, and says, this boat, first we created it, but now I have bought it. It is mine. That's what this story of redemption is about. That the one who created us and set us free is also the one that buys us back in love With his blood. Not only are we created, we are redeemed. We are justified by grace through faith in the one that has done what we could not do ourselves. God always makes good on his covenant. He always makes good on his covenant. And thus, we are invited into unity with Jesus And as we all come into this unity with the God of the universe, 
as our sins are covered, like this umbrella that we've been talking about throughout the quarter, we also join with others that are in the same boat. So what? So what? What do we take away with this? Three things that I want to, I want to drop on you here before we sing a few more songs and wrap it up. First, the message of justified by grace through faith is, is simply this. Accept that you are accepted. Are you there? Do you know that this love of God revealed in Jesus Christ is also for you? This is the individual takeaway I commission you with tonight. Accept that you are accepted. Believe that the promises of God are true for you. Two, uh, if we were to continue on to the end of chapter three, uh, Paul asked this question, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Can we just ignore the law, this thing that has been set out? And he says, not at all, rather we uphold the law. As we come to this unity with God and with each other, the law that we uphold is a law of love. We uphold this, this law that, that guides us in loving God. We uphold this law that guides us in loving others. That's the way the law is wrapped up. To love God and love others. Do we nullify it? No. We live into it. We believe it's for us and we live into it. And finally, we bear witness to this love in unity, not necessarily uniformity. And this is what we celebrate on a night where we, where we gather in the way that we are. People from different backgrounds, from different denominations, even as the gospel choir came, different ages. Something important for us in college to remember. That we gather together in unity, not necessarily uniformity, to witness to the love of God in the world. Uh, in closing tonight, I want to read from... Uh, a sermon that Martin Luther King Jr. preached uh, on, on Christmas Eve. Uh, I think it's, it's obviously ap- appropriate to close with a quote from uh, MLK on a day after we, we recognized uh, him. And I want to I arg- argue that uh, MLK was not only a significant political and, and human rights figure uh, here in the United States, but he's also one of the most important figures in the history of the American church. In fact, I would argue he is the most important figure in the American church. He says this on this, on this theme of, of witnessing, in, uh, witnessing to love and unity. He says this, Now let me suggest first that we are able to have peace on earth. If we are able to have peace on earth, our loyalties must become ecumenical rather than sectional. Our loyalties must transcend our race our tribe, our class, our nation, and this means we must develop a world perspective. No individual can live alone, no nation can live alone, and as long as we try, the more we are going to have war in the world. Now the judgment of God is upon us, and we must either learn to live together as brothers, or we all are all going to perish together as fools. Let us live together in unity. Unity with Christ and with each other as we are justified by the work that God has done 
and freely given us by grace through faith that we might provide the entire world with a vision for peace, for something different. Let us pray. Lord, uh, help us to live into this identity that you have given us as those justified, as those that have been made right, as those that are in unity uh, with you. Lord, Lord, we pray that that as we are in, in unity with you, that we may be in unity with each other, that we might bear witness to your uh, covenant justice in a world uh, that needs that consistency, that needs that love. Uh, so, Lord, we ask, have your way uh, in each of us, in this community, in all the communities represented here in Seattle, in Washington, in the United States, and around the world. Lord, into your hands uh, we uh, commission ourselves these prayers in Christ's name.